0: And welcome to another episode of Red Thread Podcast. I'm your host, the Royal Wee Randy. And on today's episode, I got with Nico from Upstate Unconventional. We we dove deep, man. We started a journey, an epic quest to dive into the Lord of the Rings. And I'm sure that there are many, many other nerds out there, dorks, dweebs, whatever you want to call us, those of us who enjoy ourselves in our lives and in our hobbies and in our strange little fixations whether it be anime or fantasy tales so this is for all of you out there and this is just the first installment of many many episodes i'm sure to follow so thanks for joining us
1: you hit record on your end too got it
0: all right we've got cohesion this evening ladies and gentlemen myself random randy from the red thread podcast and we've got
1: <laughs> uh, me, Nico, <laughs> Nico from Upstate Unconventional. I didn't realize you were uh, no me, worries, dude. leading I, me I into to, that.
0: I meant to plan that out like with you ahead of time, but we kind of got like into all kinds of other awesome things before we started up here. Um, but yeah, man, dude, I'm so stoked that that we could get together and chat on this subject. One of my favorite epics of all time. I like that you called it an epic instead of just a story because it absolutely is. Um, I dare say that, that maybe it's, uh, a different history. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Lord of the Rings this evening and, um, figured we'd just kind of start out, uh, put our toes in the water, so to speak on, um, on essentially the first movie um we will get a little bit into like what's also in the book the lord of the rings um because nico's more familiar with that than i am and it really does tie everything else together um lately i've been a little stuck on the similarity and just the creation story and man it it resonates so hard with me that i definitely wanted to set aside a number of evenings to dig into this
1: yeah i mean we would need six hours presentation (laughs) to kind of go through that whole thing but i was going to ask randy when did you first get introduced to lord of the rings i think man (laughs) just to talk about the passion because for me it's been since i was in fifth grade i I like just i've been obsessed with it Mm. i watch it every year oh man (laughs) sometimes multiple times a year uh i've read the books probably at least 10 times you know nice
0: yeah. So, so for me, um, I got into the, the first one that I got into uh, was The Hobbit. And uh, that was when <laughs> when I was about 16 years old. Uh, so I, I got into it a little late. You know, I, I'd heard about it, but I wasn't really an avid reader uh, very young. I read a lot of young people's books, The Boxcar Children, blah, 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 you know, Treasure Island, a lot of classics, things like that. Um, but never really understood what Lord of the Rings was or fantasy, for that matter. So I was missing out big time as a kid. But I um, did some dumb shit in my late teens and wound up uh, incarcerated for six months in a juvenile detention camp. And what is there to do when you're just surrounded by uh, fellow degenerate uh, children? You uh, pick up some books and read. I got my GED. I Uh, started teaching English second language to some Spanish kids. So that was pretty amazing. Started a lot of really stellar things uh, that summer. Uh, And unfortunately, it was the entire summer. I was there from like May until uh, something like November. So uh, I picked up The Hobbit and I read through that. I think I read through it like once and then skimmed through some of the really awesome parts like Like the battle with smog and just the scenery and the visualizations of all of these things were so amazing. And I was so excited when the Hobbit series came out in motion picture format. I thought that that was amazing. And I think that they did a phenomenal job, even better, honestly, hate to say it, even better than The Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson. Um, Although I think that the second series, The Hobbit, was also by Peter Jackson, wasn't it? The second series the the, the hobbit series yeah yeah, yeah. He did, yeah he did those as well yep oh, okay so that's just his his progression uh really yep. like kind of went wild well yeah and he he got a lot more cgi with it in in the hobbit for sure um and cgi mm-hmm. had come a long way since the lord of the rings even though it was epic all throughout the lord of the rings uh trilogy man w- what an amazing group of people um you know Aside from what all of us conspiracy theorists say about Hollywood and things like this, it does take a lot of passion and a lot of skill to portray these characters um in the light and and with the the feeling you know that, that
1: they actually do. So
0: um, you know, whether I'm gonna tear Eric all or- that
1: apart, Randy, I'm gonna tear <laughs> every single bit because there's so many different things from the book, but we I'm just, I'm kidding, but, the movies, <laughs> no, but the you, movies Dude, are...
0: you're spot on, but that's, that's exactly why I need you to key in on some of the parts out of the book, because there's a lot missing from the movies a lot. And there's a lot changed. There's a mm-hmm. lot adapted. There's a lot worked around. I mean, man, <laughs> which is, and, which is spot on why I don't think we will ever see the similarian
1: um, no. or any and, of those and, other
0: tales of middle earth come out in, the thing in a live is, action
1: exactly and it's like we can sit here and be you know armchair magicians and say oh i would have done this i would have done that but <laughs> i honestly i rewatched the trilogy within the last week and i reread the book or re listened to them on audiobook and for the little things that are annoying that they changed i don't know if i could do it any different you know what i mean obviously i'm not a director or anything but like with what they worked with it's i mean the movies themselves are what got me into it right to begin with and It's just, yeah, they they did an amazing job and there's so many like cool things looking at it now as an adult from like, you know, going back to like being a kid and just like loving the fantasy aspect of it, you know, the quest and all that. And now looking at like, like, for example, Aragorn, you said he is uh, of the Numenor, a Numenorian. you know, this is like an ancient race that lived for long lifetimes, two, 300 years. And I mean, I start look, thinking about like Tartaria or like these Nephilim people, you know what I mean? It's like, right.
0: Yeah, no doubt, dude, no doubt. And you know, like, like you and I had discussed briefly uh, uh, here in the, the beginning, probably before recording, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I really do feel that this Epic, this Lord of the Rings divulgence is information that is key to the realm we live in now. And J.R. Tolkien definitely felt passionately about this being a fact, not, not fiction, you know, a nonfiction. I mean, he was very adamant about that. In fact, he refers to most of humanity essentially as hobbits. Um, But what's, what's kind of crazy and uh, you know, kind of staying in the the light of the, the first movie or the Lord of the Rings um, and, and kind of putting the hobbit aside and the similarity aside for now um, a lot of the symbolism you know um really speaks to people and, and i think there's a lot of reasons behind that uh, whether you're looking for christian symbolism pagan symbolism um freemason symbolism uh astrological symbolism i mean it's all there and um i tried to watch a b movie of the um the germanic <laughs> the germanic tale that that this uh was partially adapted from i can't recall it off the top of my head and i'm doing a terrible job of of hosting this topic at the moment but um but basically i I couldn't watch it it was such a horrible movie and i I was just like i got distracted reading some different elvish runes and things like this i kind of got sidetracked and went off into the languages right Mm -hmm. which uh the languages in the lord of the rings the script the writing Man, and I don't know, maybe I'm not the only one that feels this way. All of the writing looks so familiar. Like when mm-hmm. it first came out and you see the the script on the ring, right? Uh, I mean, tell me that that didn't just hit something
1: with you. Like, why does that look like I should know how to read that? Well, because he and this is something like I think we should kind of backtrack a little bit before we do this. But For Tolkien sure. actually created these languages like people think a lot of people don't realize that like he had full languages created to like in these books you don't see all of it in the book obviously right. just yeah but it's bits. there if you
0: go online it's- you will find entire alphabets you will find mm-hmm. entire meanings for certain script characters so mm-hmm. man it just it just it, it's all everything about this the lord of the rings um mm-hmm it just hits a string with me and, and yeah. and it's something that I've never been able to escape ever since I read the Hobbit at age 16. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I wanted to say on that front. But um, I mean, at first I was getting a hold of you. I'm like, well, let's discuss, you know, the symbolism within the yeah. Lord of the Rings. And then I started looking into it and I'm like, Holy cow, dude, like there's everything here. There's Gandalf as a Jesus figure, you know, there's the um, the one ring as a symbol of sin and evil. There's uh like you were saying, you had a few that you, you'd messaged uh, down to me earlier. Did you want to
1: uh, go over
0: those a little bit real quick?
1: Sure. Let me pull them up. I, I think too, like if anyone hasn't seen the Lord of the Rings, I mean, at this point in history, you should mm-hmm. probably just watch the movies, but basically just a quick recap of the story is there's a dark Lord, the epitome of evil. He creates one master ring and there's what, seven rings for the dwarves, nine for men, and three for elves. And this one ring can rule them all. And it gets taken from him, from the power of men, uh, and it corrupts men's hearts. You know what I mean? Like, no one can use this ring for good. No matter what, it's going to betray you. It's going to, its intention is going to come out. And it kind of jumps into, like, sigil magic, I guess, in a sense. But it's like, no one can, uh, you know, Use this ring and throughout history, it passes through many different hands and it ends up in the hands of Frodo Baggins, you know, who is the antagonist of the story. And the whole purpose of the story is he's a small little hobbit. He's from this tiny, tiny little shire where he's never been outside of this in his life. And he has to basically destroy the most evil thing on the planet. And, you know, it, it's just it's amazing. But let me pull up some of the stuff I was like looking into. Um, yeah, like so they go on this quest, right? And it's so hard to start because it's like, where do you begin with this? Because <laughs> yeah, so, that's kind of why I was like, let me just put this on
0: Nico for a second. Yeah,
1: Cause yeah, so I didn't so,
0: honestly I, don't know. Like you can start at the beginning, but the beginning's the hobbit. Right. You know, so so hobbit. it's hard. Maybe I picked the wrong place to jump in.
1: No, um, it's all good because <laughs> we're just working through this. And again, this is just like kind of the you know, we're testing the waters here, but the hobbit was actually written as like a children's book. You know what I mean? He had no intention of it becoming, you know, as he wrote it, it got more and more deep and dark. And you can tell that in the the Fellowship of the Ring, the first book, because it starts out very kind of playful and joyish. It's it's Bilbo's birthday. Bilbo is the uh, protagonist of The Hobbit. And uh, I think I said antagonist for Frodo, so correct me on that. But um, <laughs> uh, I guess you could say he's kind of an antagonist too, because the ring does take control of him eventually. But so Mm -hmm. Bilbo gets this ring. He finds it in a cave. There's this creature Gollum who's had it for 500 years. Bilbo finds the ring and this ring has the ability to turn him invisible. He wins a riddle match. He gets out and the whole thing with the Hobbit goes down. But what's so fascinating is like Gandalf could be considered like a Jesus figure, but he's almost like a, how do I like I, I think they consider him like an angel in a sense. He is right. a ring bearer as well, but he's also like he puts things in motion. He's almost like that omni, that that present God that sets the timeline in the right way, because he picks this hot. It's almost like he had all this planned out in a way. You know what right. I mean? Well,
0: and and if you look into the storyline behind Gandalf, um, and and who Gandalf is or was. Uh, more interestingly, who he was before he comes down to Middle Earth. Um, I think this is why people kind of think of him as a Jesus type figure, because he does come from the ethereal or the timeless halls um, where he uh, initially begins as what's called, uh, if I'm saying it correctly, a Maya, M-A-I-A. And essentially, this is what we would consider an archangel or, you know, an angelic being from a higher dimension. Um So, yeah, he comes down much like Jesus, uh, you know, comes down to essentially help humanity save itself. Right. I mean, that's that's what he does by uh, putting all of this, this whole thing in motion because the evil is starting up, you know, uh, over here on the the eastern side. And he's over here in the western side of things in the land of men um, doing his thing while. Uh, Well, we'll get into while all that other stuff later. But so so I see why people would consider Gandalf maybe a type of Jesus or holy type figure, especially, you know, after reading into the similarity. And and this is a little off, but um, and finding out that Gandalf was one of these original entities um, put into flesh. um, And he doesn't actually recall being that higher self right? Much like we don't recall being our higher selves. I think that that's incredibly interesting. And, um, so yeah, he starts to put this in motion. He (laughs) winds up at Bilbo's door, right. And, uh, and Bilbo's pretty much, uh, talking crap on all the hobbits in the whole shire, you know what I mean? Oh, those thieving, uh, Sacks bagginses and and all this and that, right? Like right. he's just going off and he's like, it's his 111th birthday. So that has right there out of the gate, numerical significance. Mm-hmm. Um, some would say in, in the language of angels, generally speaking, uh, three of the same number have significance. Um, I don't have pulled up what that significance is, but I do find it interesting that it's his 111th birthday.
1: Yes. And what's really interesting too, with Gandalf too, is whenever they describe like a magical type, they say they have like an elvish air about them. And like throughout the book, Bilbo is constantly, you know, talked about with this elvish air. Frodo has an elvish air when they meet elves in the woods, him and Sam, the the elves don't, you know what I mean? They look at him as not like a normal hobbit. There's something elvish about him. And with Gandalf, He's known throughout all of Middle Earth. And uh to the hobbits, he's just a traveling wizard that does fireworks. You know what I mean? He's just right. <laughs> he's just like this like old man that comes around with a cart and shoots off fireworks and starts mischief. But you know, to the people of Gondor, he's a high scholar that you know people learn from. Uh Faramir in uh Gondor, who's Boromir's brother, has learned like um almost scrying like techniques and uh like opening his third eye, like becoming more wizardly, you know, in a sense. Right. So, and the dwarves look at him like everyone has their own name for Gandalf. The elves call him Mithrandir. I forget what the dwarves call him, but like he's, he's just known throughout the land all over the place. Um. But yeah, so he comes to the Shire and uh, he suspects something's going on with this ring. Like throughout the whole series, like even back in the Hobbit, Bilbo, lies about what how he got the ring which is like the first kind of clue that this is not normal because Bilbo typically like wouldn't lie even though he signed him up as a burglar and so that that kind of like sets Gandalf off and man I'm so ADD with this stuff but what's amazing it's it's
0: amazing it's all over the place so it's it's really hard uh, to try to nutshell this topic it's like impossible I'm sure that it's definitely going to take uh (laughs) Uh, not A few just tonight, episodes. but yeah, for sure. Um, And if even just to start off and get into it, because, you know, once we start getting into each character, uh, it's kind of hard to stop. Like right now, we're just kind of right in the very beginning and, and we're already like 20, 30 <laughs> minutes in. It's like, wow. right? <laughs> so. and,
1: and the thing with Gandalf, too, another crazy thing. And it's just like this goes back to like uh Merlin and other wizard myths. It's like he's just he pops up when he's needed and he disappears like you'll notice in the book he's like oh i gotta go somewhere and look for me on the light of the third day you know he just (laughs) he like sets these things in motion he's he kind of stirs the shit and then all of a sudden he pops up at the right time so there is this like very insane like he's very reliable but kind of he's uh, the same yeah he's very flaky but he he forces other characters to like pull out their own inner strength in a sense like so he bilbo's birthday party bilbo disappears and he's he's going on his last adventure he's going to rivendell to be with the elves again he wants another adventure and he gives up the ring and uh this is a thing that happens in the book that they don't talk about in the movie which was kind of annoying but uh in the book after bilbo's birthday there's a 17-year gap until <laughs> That's when right, when, yeah. when Frodo starts his adventure. And in that 17 years, he has the ring. You know what I mean? So Bilbo, the ring doesn't age Bilbo at all. He looks very young. And then the same things start to happen to Frodo. He starts to become a little more uh, reclusive. He's he's weird. You know what I mean? Like hobbits think, he, other hobbits think like he's Before very weird. he sets off right this is even before he sets right. off and he just he studies a lot he's learning the elvish language he's doing these things and uh i don't know if they attribute it to the ring or just frodo himself but he's he starts having these like visions he's very um almost when he puts the ring on he's in between dimensions you know he can see uh the shadow world as, you know what I mean? He never right. puts the, the ring on the it. in
0: between, uh, you right. know, or that, that ether space or mm-hmm. um, like, like when he, for example, when he looks at the ring race mm-hmm. later on, he, he could see their, their physical faces as opposed to them just being a dark cloaked figure. So, right. so yeah, so he's, he's able to uh, essentially, like you were saying, open his third eye, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that kind of fits it in a nutshell to, to anybody out there listening that, has experience with opening their third eye and kind of being, you know, a toe in, in this in-between kind of realm. Uh, it's very much what this ring does, but like to the max, right? So it's like a, it's like an Ormus or, you know, like a, <clears throat> like, a like an, like um, an, uh, not an amulet, but uh, yeah, like an amulet or yeah, mandala or, you know what I mean? Like it's something to amplify that third eye kind of, Spiritual awareness and it, it starts to change him. It starts to make him more interested in things that aren't typical and Hobbit-like. Yeah, so, more yeah, esoteric people to, stuff. <laughs> right, right. And, and man, it's so crazy because that that fits in so well with so many spiritual seekers of this day, in this mm-hmm. time, in this realm. You know, Um, I, I'm honestly of the thought that we are we're standing in Middle Earth just in a different age or a different epoch, right? And these these stories and these characters, whether it be Merlin or Gandalf, right? Like you have this kind of uh, vibration to it, or it rings true to so many people. Um, Fantasy in general rings so true to so many people, whether, you know, you're looking at anime or Lord of the Rings or anything like that. And I'm of the the school of thought that there's definitely something to this. And J.R.R. Tolkien, like I was saying earlier, would have told you that, He didn't consider this a fiction. This is all just based on fact in his mind. And, and essentially, um, I think now probably be a good time to read his, one of his last, uh, appearances on this plane, on this world, he was, uh, throwing a party for his birthday. Uh, this was about 35 years ago now, uh, in Rotterdam, I think England, I'm assuming, um, so he he's having a party, uh, essentially a birthday party, much akin to the 111th birthday of uh, of Bilbo, and um, he was uh, just hosting everybody as if they were hobbits. And he speaks of, uh, well, he says, "Like smog, I'm guarding my treasure, hissing at any collector who comes near." <laughs> so so he's very guarded about this story, this this tome that he that he wrote, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I see for good reason, but, and we'll get into this a little later on with maybe his ties to Freemasonry and things like this, that'll come up once we get to the, uh, the door of Moria, uh, in a little bit here. Um, so essentially what he said that I thought was incredibly interesting, that just kind of makes the point, uh, about him believing. And, you know, I do too, that this is a history, uh, a legitimate history. Um, he states the sight of the destruction from World War II around Rotterdam uh, saddened him, reminding him of the orc that he so lamented taking hold of the world. The cold-hearted wizards, in their quest for knowledge and power, were only good at destroying things. In his final salute to the Assembly of Hobbit lovers, Tolkien said that Sauron is gone, but the descendants of the hateful, shire-polluting wizard Saruman are everywhere. The hobbits of the world have no magic weapons to fight them, but he adds with a robust and hopeful declaration. And yet here, gentle hobbits may I conclude by giving you this toast to the hobbits and may they outlast all the wizards. (laughs) And I just, I find that incredible that almost every time that he's seen or spoken with um, he's very much in this world that most people would consider is in his own head. And, you know, we're all taught to consider fantasy realms as something in our own heads, right? But what if, you know, just what if in in an age past, I mean, we see more and more destruction year after year, wars and arguing and chaos. And, you know, if you're uh, an esoteric um, seeker, a spiritual seeker, you're finding that that there's been a lot of, a lot of destruction and, and it's like, okay, who, what drove this. Right. Um, And then we see, (laughs) we see wizards like Walt Disney, right. Mm -hmm. You know, we see these portrayal of wizards by people uh, like Walt Disney with club 33. And I mean, you, you dive into those rabbit holes, you know, yourself, people there's tons out there to suggest that who's really in charge of this realm right now are Mm -hmm.
1: these wizards, right. Or these these conjurers of cheap tricks. <laughs> so. Right. And what's so interesting too, is Gandalf's mission is to protect the Shire. The Shire is the home of the hobbits. It's like the last peaceful place in middle earth that, that is just untouched by the corruption, you know? So his thing is to protect that area. And uh, Aragorn, who we'll get into later uh, known as Strider too, is part of the Numenorian race. He's a, a ranger of the North and he, Him, they all protect the borders of the Shire, you know, so everything is really kept out of this area, you know, and Saruman wants to destroy that. That is his goal to just corrupt the Shire, and this isn't shown in the movies. This is in the books, but after Saruman, uh, Gandalf breaks his staff later on, and we'll get into all that stuff, but Gandalf basically takes over Saruman's place as the white wizard. And takes his power away. And what does Saruman do? He goes to the Shire with the orcs and the half orcs, and he turns it into like an industry. He, he burns everything down, wrecks the trees, and the hobbits come back, and he has to they have to rally the hobbits to save the Shire from this wizard, and you know, and the destruction of it. And it's just, I wish they put it in the movies because it's so such a powerful uh ending chapter to the books it's like saruman comes in and just wreaks havoc wrecks everything that's peaceful in the shire and these four little hobbits that were on this year couple year long quest are now you know warriors you know they're they're knighted in gondor they are heroes and no one would know that you know what i mean right they come right yeah it they... just kind of ends off
0: uh at in right. the end of the lord of the rings trilogy like with like oh yeah you're knights now but nothing else Right. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't suggest anything about how this goes further, you know, after Treebeard and the sacking of of the tower that is taken back, you know, the the dark tower, the the black tower um, that is taken back by um, by Gandalf. There's no suggestion of any of that. So it's it's kind of interesting that that cuts off there. And and I think that maybe that's for a specific reason. And that is that would give people too much hope. If right. you put that out in the mainstream, that these four little hobbits, right, that have no magical powers, that have no real influence over the other, you know, if, if they wind up succeeding, that means essentially us, you and I, Nico, the little guy, can mm-hmm. succeed against these great wizards. And, <laughs> you know, we, we've all had spells cast on us. And, and whether you recognize it or not um, is kind of on you. Uh, unfortunately, that's just how it is. But I, I'm fortunate enough to recognize that I've been, <laughs> I've been cast upon, you know, and and now it's time for for me to do this work here, like with you, casting right. my own right here in this podcast, which I think is is funny that most media, which is also known as magic in some circles, the yes. word media, um, you know, many many anime, and I refer to anime often because I feel that that's one of the closer histories that we're going to get, especially with all of the architecture and anime being very relevant to the quote unquote Tartarian period. Right. Mm. So, so that, yeah. So the reason they cut that out of the movie and and leave it off at that happy ending is because they don't want people to realize, um, Hey, there was still a battle to be had, right? Like, yes, yes. This dark wizard was, was, was beaten, but, um, there was still evil in the East right? Mm-hmm. Like it was still very real. And, and I think that we have that today. Um, I right. think that that's a huge thing today. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't wait till we get into the Hobbit and, and talk some about the dragon symbolism, the yeah. horde of treasure, um, how they stole, you know, uh was it more, not Moria, but how they stole, uh, no, it wasn't Moria, Mist- was Moria, wasn't it? The Misty Mist- Mountains, yes. Misty Mountains. Okay, how they stole that from the dwarves, right? And pretty much ran them out. Um, and then also how Moria was stolen from the dwarves by the orcs and the goblins in this mm-hmm. tale. So there's dark forces that are all over the east, right? Um, yeah. even the east of the west, right, where the Shire mm-hmm. is. So just to the east of there, you have the the um the halls of Moria and man and, and then you've got like Rivendale is a tiny beacon in the middle on the river um mm-hmm. and the, the elves essentially use the river as protection water has a very protective fact uh, factor to it um mm-hmm. and, and i i just i find that all incredibly interesting but uh, all that aside so
1: yeah cut so that out
0: to, to take our hope
1: 100 <laughs> but it's such a powerful chapter and like even if you don't like the lord of the rings if you can get the last book and just read that chapter they come back and everything is just wrecked and it's up to them like all these hobbits it's very there's so many correlations to what's going on today like these hobbits are just abiding to these uh mandates and these rules and there's the yeah they they jail a couple people they do some you know they killed a couple hobbits they they will you know hit them in the streets things like that but what all it took was Mary and Pippin at Frodo and Sam to come back, rally all these hobbits, these little people, and they're able to overthrow these uh orc sheriffs that are in town. And they they literally take it back overnight. And it's just such again, so relevant to what's going on today. If everyone just <laughs> stood up and said enough of the bullshit, because all it right. took was he rallied, they rally a couple farmers up, they get their pitchforks and their bow and arrows and everything and they just they take it back and they get rid of Saruman and that's when he where he dies uh his which is interesting too his uh servant there wormtongue ends up killing him and then <laughs> nice and they end up killing wormtongue but it's just like yeah and again frodo's like after they capture it and they they run him out he like still shows mercy on saruman like I'm not going to spill any more blood in the shire and He ends up dying anyway, but yeah, it's just, it's such a fascinating story. And then Frodo eventually sails off to the West with the, uh, with the elves, but yeah, let's get into, um, the quest. So he has to take this ring out of the Shire because the, uh, the dark Lord Sauron is starting to gain his power back and he sends these black riders, the ring wraiths looking for the ring they they know the ring has been found and gandalf has spent the last 17 years researching this and figuring all this out and he you know he realizes frodo's ring is the ring so he sends him off and uh there's so many interesting characters they meet too Uh, let's just focus on the movie because there's a lot of like they meet uh Tom bombadil in the book and that that has a whole different creator aspect behind it um (laughs) So yeah, right. so, so in the movie, sure. they go to the inn, they go to Bree where it's, there are hobbits in Bree, but it's mostly men, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like culture shock to these hobbits and they meet Aragorn, they meet the uh, the innkeeper, all that stuff. And these ringwraiths come in and they're trying to take the ring. They have to set off into the forest and there's a, a scene where, so Aragorn is a ranger. He is of the Numenor bloodline. Uh, he, he is meant to be king of Gondor. He is Isildur. Right? We didn't even get into that. Isildur was the one who defeated Sauron. Cut right, the ring yeah, from I his guess hand. we should
0: have started with the with yeah. the intro, the prologue, right? Uh, yeah. So let's just go back and do the prologue <laughs> real quick.
1: One <laughs> right. ring to rule them all. One ring to bind them. One ring to bring them all in in the dark does, Yeah. So it is anyway, there's three rings for the elves. There's seven for the dwarves. There's nine for the men. And then Sauron has the one ring. There's a huge battle. And the last alliance of men and elves get together and they are able to defeat Sauron. This guy, Isildur, his father's slain in battle. He picks up his broken sword and he cuts the ring out of Sauron's hand. He has a chance to destroy it. He does not destroy it, he keeps it, and it all goes downhill from there.
0: Right. And, and, and us. Sauron's uh, energy or life essence right is embedded within these rings yes um, all of them and, and I'd imagine that several of them of the other ones still existed uh, in the world of elves and yes. men and, and and dwarves so they still had these rings these keepsakes um, and mm-hmm. most of them like like a did not give them up they right. just kind of held on to them thinking okay well Sauron's dead you know he's he's gone, so we can have these awesome magic rings and and do good with them, right? This ultimate but, power. But what did they do? They they allowed that energy of Sauron to exist still in this plane, so that later on he's able to gather his energies um, and begins looking for the One Ring, right? Right. By so, using these undead ring wraiths or these you know hell yeah.
1: spawn, you can call them these these uh you know. Uh, and that's the thing: the 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 humans, the nine. Uh, black Riders were nine kings of men, and they all had their rings, and they all got corrupted by Sauron. The only ones that weren't were the elves. Their three rings were untouched by him, you which know? is interesting. It just speaks to the the
0: power of the of the elves. Um, you know the the very light, bright light energy that elves yeah. uh, emanate. Um, man, one of one of my favorite points, and I'm pretty sure that it is in this movie that we're speaking on is when uh, when he gets the uh, the light of uh galadriel Caladriel. yes he speaks with galadriel and and she hands him essentially it looks like a flask of water right mm-hmm. but this will uh will be a light in your darkest time she and literally gives him a star it's like the the you know the bright she she does say that this is the, this is our, our brightest star um mm-hmm. and and i just man that's so amazing and here's something else on that uh she calls it a star and what are we finding out now that stars actually are? And this may be a mind blower for some people, but it's a, it's a resonant response in a bubble to a frequency that then glows and burns essentially without burning as bright and as hot as what we are told stars really burn it. So that's a whole other can of worms for folks out there, but I highly recommend looking into cymatics and dig into what stars really are. And you're going to be blown away to find out they're bubbles in the waters above that are vibrating so fast that they actually are as hot as we are told they are, but they're not as big as we we're told they are and they're not as far away. So I'll leave it at that. But um, So she hands him a star in a, in a jar and there's something to this. I mean, with everything in this book, I, I'm just like... I'm <laughs> blown away by it. So and then, so yeah, we've got the we've got the ring race. Still have the rings. That's why they exist. That's how he's able to kind of conjure up his power and, and control them. And through these other things like the Seeing Stone or the the um the orb that uh, that Saruman has, right? So yep. there, there's other dark artifacts that he's like invested his magic into, and and therefore his life force, which kind of keeps him alive. And man, yeah. that and that feels a lot like AI to me. You know what it's, I mean? It feels a lot like these scrying mirrors we are now sitting at, Nico. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the know? thing.
1: There's the, the orb Saruman has is called the Palantir. And there, are, uh, there were seven of them in the beginning. And I think there was only two that were accounted for. Saruman had one. And the other one was actually Denethor, the uh, steward of Gondor. We find out at the end of the book... Uh, I I don't remember if they do it in the movie or not, but he has one as well. And that's what actually drives him into madness is having this uh, crystal ball, basically, that's connected to Sauron. And uh, same thing. I I don't think
0: that they touch that in the movie and and they don't touch Mm -hmm. a lot of the really dark, uh, really relevant Mm -hmm. things, uh, which is unfortunate. But for character development, it it is a little easier for us to kind of use that as an outline and then, you know, divulge some secondary type awesome information from there but do you find it interesting that that there's seven of these and there are also seven actual planets right like like if you look into astrology uh, they consider there to be seven planets not eight Mm -hmm. or nine um and there are seven of these orbs and and also the elves hold the stars in jars (laughs) <laughs> and man, like all of it and see some of this is just coming to me at this moment. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that there's folks out there that are that are hearing this as it as it comes through, um, because that's it's just mind blowing, man. And uh, so much of this stuff I I hadn't pondered or thought about, especially the her saying this is our brightest star and handing that to to Frodo. Um, I think that that's wild. But um, so they go and they meet Strider or they meet Aragorn in this inn, right? Mm-hmm. and or, he is or at a pub or something
1: uh yeah. and he is the like great 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 grandson of isildur who took the ring right so it is his it's his uh throne you know he's supposed to be the king of the men but he is in the woods he's a ranger and he helps the hobbits get to rivendell um during that journey uh the hobbits light a fire the ring wraiths see them they meet them on weathertop which is a an old outpost that's been abandoned and the king of the ring raids uh stabs frodo in the arm right and uh it's a it's called a morgul blade but it, it basically the piece breaks off and it's corrupting his heart and it's slowly turning him into a ring wraith as well and then they just have to wait till they can get the ring um What's really interesting is that wound kind of like keeps him in that in between state now where he is, he's of the world. He doesn't, but he can also see things that others can't. Right. And uh, what's really interesting, and this is another change in the movie from the book. Uh, in the movie, they have Arwen, Elrond's daughter, come and rescue Frodo. In the movie or in the book, it is uh, Glorfindel. Who is a high elf lord. And what's really interesting is, and another thing that bugged me too is like it's instant in the movie, Frodo gets poisoned and he's like dying. Uh in the book, he carries he, he's fine for like 17 days before it affects him. You know what I mean? They're still traveling, even though he's been wounded. And they really again, it it had to be done on purpose, I believe, that they made these hobbits so weak because Frodo puts up a fight. You know what I mean? Like they're not.
0: They're right. Not little yeah. Bitches. Yeah. No
1: doubt. For sure. They're not little it's, bitches in the book. It, it's interesting and... that you say 17 days though. Was that, mm-hmm. was
0: that per the book? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so again with the, uh, the occult symbolism, man, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: at every turn of every page. Um, well, the 17 pops up a lot. It's 17 years from when Bilbo gives him the ring before he leaves. Then he is, uh, traveling with a wound for, that's poisoning him slowly for 17 days. And then, uh, what's interesting is when he's in that right before they get him to rivendell and heal him he's in that in-between state and he can see things without even putting the ring on he's in that that shadow world the wraith right. world and he sees everything in their true form and he sees Glorfindel, that that elf lord in his true form and he's just a bright light and frodo wow. doesn't know what that was it's just he just sees a light come shining through this uh basically abyss you know right and, and, he,
0: and they kind of there's a throwback Kind of to that in the movie when mm-hmm. when she essentially walks up to him and, and for a split second, you kind of almost see her right. del- just a light approaching uh, mm-hmm. Frodo. So. So, yeah, um, at least they left that part in, but they, mm-hmm. they really did kind of take away from.
1: Uh, and they had to the, have a the the love interest MC. in the movie, too. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. That, too. And it's uh, Stephen Tyler's daughter, you know, needs a role. so right. So. So, you know what I mean? We're going to we're going to
1: have to throw her in there. Because everyone knows that she's smoking hot, right? So, yeah, and it's, <laughs> so and it's still a badass with... scene. Like rewatching it, the I, I've worked with horses before, not like hands on. I've done security for horses, but I know like how hard it is to train them. So that that scene where they're chasing on the horses is just absolutely incredible. Like, oh yeah, absolutely, man. I, I
0: got to give it to Peter Jackson and, and the whole crew, man. The whole crew that that did this I, when it first came out on. Man, it might have been VHS mm-hmm. <laughs> back when this first came out. I was watching, you know, the deleted scenes and all the behind the scenes stuff. And man, they were up there. Uh, oh, where were they at? Uh, they were New in Zealand. New Zealand, yep. Yeah, so down there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, man, what, a, what an amazing! Like, I always thought it would be amazing to take part in an adventure like that until I've met people that were into you know directing and. And casting movies and found out what kind of people they are. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, no, I think I'm good on that. Um, yeah, so uh, so anyway, um Yeah, so, yeah, so the number elf. 17 blows yeah. my mind there. Um, and, and anybody that's that's obviously probably gonna be listening to uh either of our feeds is going to understand that that is kind of a a reference nowadays, nowadays it's a reference to Q, right? Or or to Trump or you know, to to any of this um what you may very well kind of consider Freemason symbolism um, and uh, more, more of that to come later, but go on. Oh,
1: so he, he gets, so we're just kind of going through the story and I'm sorry yeah. if this is boring for people that have seen the movie, but they get to Rivendell. Where was it? Oh, so he sees the elves in, in their true form, which is light, which I think is really a cool um, kind of aspect to these elves because they are so etheric. They're like heavenly almost angelic beings you know what i mean and there are dark right elves. well they're there's they're different... eternal
0: too there's you know there's yeah. reference to their their um immortality several yeah. times uh throughout both series of movies at least so you know um it's pretty easy for for folks out there who have only watched the movies to understand uh especially if you've seen the hobbit series uh they say you know 100 years is a blink in the eye for an elf you know as they're they're trapped in the in the woodland <laughs> realms in the in the mm-hmm. halls so so yeah um just yeah. mind-blowing stuff. I'm glad that they kept that that essence of light to the mm-hmm. elven figure that they brought into the movie, even mm-hmm. though they substituted it out for a completely different character, which does take away a little bit.
1: It does and it doesn't. I mean, I know they had to add like the love interest and give Arwen some type of role because she does end up marrying because it is a little abrupt in the book. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, right, er- right. They don't Aragorn- have that backstory for Aragorn and Arwen. Right, so Eric, uh, they have it in the book, but it's just kind of like he gets crowned king at the end and Elrond shows up with Arwen and that's his queen, you know? But <laughs> Right. It's, so I think it was okay in the movie, you know, just to give that character some more relevance than she has in the book. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting um, with them being light and the other thing too is this is another thing I wanted to touch on, but like, so they go to Rivendell and he's healed, you know, Alron is a master healer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's a line in the book. I, I believe it's in the return of the King in the book, but, uh, Aragorn is very good at healing too. And he was raised by the elves. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a man, he's a Numenor, but he was also raised by the elves since he was a child. And, uh, there's a line where they say like a king is not only a warrior but a healer as well and it just it just ties into so many right well you remember when he's in the movie when he's looking at
0: at Frodo's wound and mm-hmm. he's like he's like i can't heal this you know we, we need elvish elvish magic um mm-hmm. so they they set off for for rivendell and um so that that's kind of suggesting that he does have healing powers in a sense so mm-hmm. that, that's interesting. So there are like little tidbits in the films that kind of in that moment in the scene, you understand that he has healing capability, right? He's like, hey, go get this uh, King's this, foil, you mm-hmm. know, from, from over there so that we can try to, well, this will hold him over for a little bit, but it's not going to do, you know, enough. We need
1: elvish magic. So <laughs> I think that's and awesome. It's, it's always herbs that they're healing with. You know, it's, again, the earth gives us like everything we need. It's just.
0: Yeah. It's just been bastardized and, and taken Mm -hmm. from us. Uh, and and man, I mean, like even aspirin comes from originally comes from Mm -hmm. a plant. Um, if you go out in your yard, your average weed in your grass is opium lettuce. Um, and it works just as good as aspirin does. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, we're out there spraying roundup on these things when really we could be harvesting these (laughs) and using these to heal ourselves. But that's that's lost magic
1: right there. Yeah. And the thing is, too, it's like in our our society, it's all sorcery. You know, they take something that was naturally pure. They they cheapen it. They synthesize it or make it synthetic, whatever. And it. It temporarily works, whereas they call it, call it
0: alchemy. They don't ever Mm -hmm. call it
1: sorcery, though, which I think is amusing, but it definitely is sorcery. We we're dealing with wizards. Um, And that ties into Saruman and what he's doing, where he's like corrupting the land and making this like cheap industry where he's mass producing these orcs and just pulling them out of the ground and. I, I still don't have a clear image of how they make them. It kind of is like hinted that they're it's, like, it's very interesting, right? Like, yeah. um,
0: and, and you know, I, I have a thought to this, um, which is going to sound absolutely batshit crazy, but here goes. goes. Um, we're called human beings because that resonates with the word homunculus. And mm-hmm. if you know what the word homunculus is, it's a mixture of many different creatures. And what our DNA tells us is that we have the similar genes to very many creatures, including even fruit flies. So this may be kind of out there, but, um, whether, whether we're hobbits or descendants of dwarves or, or any of these things or a mixture like the orcs, right. Um, or the, uh, 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 orukai is is what, what he calls this new species of orc that he's pulling out of the ground, the orukai. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> you know, just just kind of going out on a weird intuitive limb here. We as human society today may very well be the remnants or the descendants of these orakai blended with whatever was here before things like hobbits, things like dwarves. Um, There are suggestions like in the box saga to people living underground for tens of thousands of years. Perhaps this was just a certain group of people that would have been known in fantasy terms as dwarves, right? We see evidence of giants everywhere. Uh, You know, you've got to be, you know, (laughs) essentially vaccinated to not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like at this point, you have to be some kind of inhibited to not look at a cathedral door and say, why do you need a door that's 10 times bigger than a person? What are you driving a truck in there? What's going on? You know? And, and so, you know, they're obviously larger people. Now it would make sense if we are a smaller race, whether it be, you know, dwarf or Hobbit, or even the orcs were not very large, like compared next to the Hobbit, they were like a foot taller. So that's,
1: I mean, that's kind of within the range of where we are, you know, as humans. And that kind of ties into like Gondor and, uh, you know, these statues that they have of these old Kings. There's that famous scene from the movie where they're on the river and you see these gigantic statues. Yes. And, And it's almost like the men of that time were probably gigantic. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And man, there's so much to, to all
0: of it. Um, and, and so when you look at etchings, right from the, usually pre 1600s and there are only etchings available. There are no photos because we are told that photos didn't exist. However, these etchings are so accurate and portray things to such a fine detail. It makes one wonder what the process was behind this etching. I mean, we see etching in our dollar bills, right? We see that, that scripting on the side and and we can look super close and there's tiny, tiny detail. I mean, these things are that detailed and so they they came from an optical reduction of some form and um the fact that so many people are against or are for mainstream considerations of things like photography the size of people um magic and its uses is a big one i mean we see occult stuff going on you know in the world people can kind of relate and go yeah you know there's dark magic right um but it's like a far cry for for folks to think and understand a, a, as strongly as i do that magic arcanum was once a very real thing i uh, i was watching an anime the other day um i forget what it was called some some black magic name because they all are now but uh in this in this anime they they have power centers and and i know this is off subject but they have power centers in the center of towns that take energy from the atmosphere and radiate it into the ground to create what's known as mana to manifest magic in this realm. And this is what I think the world trees initially did. These places like the, um, well, like, like where the ring race catch up to them in in this movie, it's very much like a plateau, right? Like a, um, which is very much like the devil's tower or a mesa, which, you know, may very well or, or not, depending on your school of thought, be these remnants of these old world trees. I think that these were the harvesters of this energy that manifested magic into this realm. So if there's evidence of these trees, and you can imagine uh, when we stick electrodes on a mushroom and can hear the mushroom music, have you seen any of that stuff, which is pretty crazy? So there's energy coursing through plants. There's energy coursing through things. So why is it a far cry to think that a giant tree might produce some major energy and manifest in a very magical way?
1: Yeah, this would have been interesting at epochs too. ago, you know, but yeah, still. <laughs> and tying that back to Lord of the Rings, um Bilbo has his birthday party under the biggest tree in the Hobbit or in the Shire. And when Saruman comes and corrupts the Shire, the first thing he does is rip up that tree. Wow. And it's like, you know, again, these are all little things that aren't in the movie, but it's just amazing like and and when Sam comes back being a gardener And there's there's a lot of references to gardeners being like the, you know, held in high regard, you know, like the men are fascinated by the fact that Sam is a gardener, you know, and when he comes and sees that tree ripped down, he's like, you know, destroyed. that like kills a little part of him inside, but he has like some dirt from Galadriel from her magic garden and he plants a new tree and all that stuff, you know, in the end. That's awesome. (laughs) But it's just it's amazing how, you know. The wizard the white wizard Saruman, his main focus is like to destroy the trees like they show this in the movie constantly rip them down you yeah, know the orcs yeah. are like tear the, them down
0: you know, burn them use them for fuel right and they, yeah, yeah they're and they've got the whole ground torn up and and then that's what you know later on and we'll get into that another time when tree beard and, and, and all the of the other Ents come, in. come mm-hmm. in and uh man uh whether he's giving life to an inanimate object through personification by bringing these ent characters into the lord of the rings or not you know it kind of remains to be seen we will find out when we leave this realm right. <laughs> and return well, to our higher souls then we'll have a better insight on a lot of this but um for sure but i can tell you just from like look at, experience. look at all the pictures of logging in the in the 1800s yeah. right in the the mm-hmm. late 1800s early 1900s you cannot find a picture of any specific state in the United States. So think of the United States as the Shire. Mm-hmm. I think that that's not a far cry right right think of think of the United States look at these. I'm in Iowa. We have rolling pastures and hills and it's very much like the Shire out here okay mm-hmm. and um, so you have you have these these just groups of these I don't know man uh, dark people. You know, dark hearted people with no respect for nature or anything like that coming and just mass clearing this entire country from coast to coast within Mm. probably 50 years. So, how you do that with horses and carriages and rudimentary steam engines at a time when we're told that that's all there was, let alone build every state house in the country. (laughs) And if you've ever stood next to one of these state houses, Um, you would understand that the scale of this is, is immense and insane to think that this was built pre 1900 in most cases, in most cases, it's the mid 1800s. And this is at the same time that everyone's supposedly tearing down trees and everybody's supposedly poor and, uh, the great depression, 1920, but then we have this art deco stuff everywhere, right? Like the empire state building, how in the hell do you build that in the middle of a depression? You know, um, uh, granted you, you can definitely, you know, put people to work when there are no jobs. Perhaps that was the situation. Um, personally, I think that a lot of these things were rebuilt um, or repurposed and things like yeah, this. They were found dead. You know what I mean? Yeah, they found yeah. them dead. Freemason. And... Right. This yeah. is so, so we were told all of this stuff. Um, but yeah. So man, just the decimation of, of our shire in our time, right. The, the rem- uprooting of i mean and they're they're proud of just tearing these giant sequoias down i mean we're talking hundreds of feet tall and they're standing next to them felled like it's a trophy and you know part of humanity nowadays has a heart for nature but it doesn't seem like that was the case 100 years ago which makes me kind of wonder what was going on mm-hmm. and uh
1: well it kind of goes back to what you were saying like if we're part orakai you know these, these things were bred to destroy you know and and if they were bred
0: from other things right like mm-hmm. like goblins but they were also had a little hobbit or a little dwarf in them for all of these different strengths right that these different species had probably everything aside from elf elvish because mm-hmm. the elves are of the light right that's like the one thing they can't touch and interesting enough um also in the kind of like tartary old world subject comes up the case of not having any bathrooms. Some people say, well, there was an outhouse, right? Um, but other people say, well, these were breatharians, which, you know, the fact that there's a term for it blows my mind. Like, you know, it completely blows my mind. I would have thought Elvish. I mean, you see the Elvish people. What did they, even in the movies, they're only eating grasses and, and salads and things like this.
1: You mean to tell and me you
0: live thousands of years <laughs> on salad, right? Like, right. and <laughs> so. their, their
1: bread that they have it like, they, they make a joke out of it in the movie, but the Lembus bread, it's like designed to one little bite is to hold a grown man's stomach for the whole day, you know? And it's like, and they, sh- they show the hobbits eating like four or five of them at a time, but <laughs> right. it's like, it's just, it's fascinating how, yeah. And like another cool thing with the elves too, is like, everyone knows that at the end of the fellowship, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli go hunting for Merry and Pippin in the book they're traveling for three days legolas like never sleeps throughout any of this which is very interesting he goes into almost like a dreamlike trance same with gandalf he doesn't really sleep ever you know they just kind of rest their eyes but they're never truly sleeping they're just kind of walking in that like in between phase right right like
0: hypnagogic hypnagogic Liminal space, I think, is Mm -hmm. what uh, what Lehman was referring to it as, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is incredibly interesting. I'm uh, not uh, attuned
1: to that school of thought as of yet, but it's something that I find very interesting. Well, I'll tell you something too. I used to work um, nighttime security. That's where I would work with the horses and everything, and I would work a day job too. And you can train yourself, and I, I can feel very rested and not be asleep. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, for sure. Just um, kind of like, it's not the same as like getting a good night's sleep. But if I close my eyes and just kind of meditate and get into like that good spot where I'm like half in half out, yeah. I can, I can wake up and, and feel like I just got it. Oh you know, yeah. A couple you hours feel, you feel re-
0: refreshed because you're, you're transiting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from alpha to theta or Delta, or I'm not sure I've never had an, you know, EKG or EEG hooked up to my mm-hmm. head to find out what the difference is, but right. I, I know the
1: feeling, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because like you're in the world, I can hear everything going on, but at the same time too, my, I'm not, I'm not going to be arrogant and say my third eye is kicking in, but I can start seeing almost dreamlike things in my head. Right. While, while I'm still hearing everything going well, and on. And I
0: think everybody has that. And, and I think mm-hmm. that the the third eye kind of phenomenon has gotten a bad rap. Um, And, and even does also kind of through this, this film, this, um, this epic, right. uh, Of the way that, that Frodo goes into this transitory realm when he wears the ring um, is suggestive that that realm itself is evil, right. Mm -hmm. Like that, um, you know, and and I think that that's for a purpose, um, especially Mm -hmm. if you look at uh, J.R. Tolkien, as, as possibly probably a Freemason or an initiate of Freemasonry, mm-hmm. right? Like it just, how would you want the people to think about uh, the spiritual plane, the layman, you know, that the, the average Joe, how would you want them to think about that as they're reading into your story or especially nowadays through film, right? It's portrayed as an eye, the all seeing eye. We have this symbolism in our government. We have it you know, all over the place it's on our dollar
1: um, bill. It's everywhere. So uh,
0: and I mean, so there's <laughs> and then to tie that third eye, that that all seeing eye, that symbol with this realm that he, he transits into while wearing this ring, uh, I think is is much to the detriment of uh, psychonauts and um, hypnagogic and also, you know, other travelers of these spaces okay um we are not told growing up that we have the power to sleep while we're awake essentially to dream while we're awake first thought, mm-hmm. you go to sleep you wake up you you well, and even stay awake until you're you stay awake until you're tired right? right like worn out and then you go to sleep
1: right and, and what do they tell you stop daydreaming you know what i mean like yeah
0: yeah exactly hey
1: stop <laughs> no daydreaming no. get to work go do something and it's like yeah,
0: uh, yeah. So I wish I could that. daydream more. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, yeah, me too. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a a medial enough job that's just kind of monotonous enough to where I can halfway pay attention and and halfway think about other things, which is nice. Uh, I think it took some training to get to that point, but um, so so man, there man, there's just so much in this right. mythos and in this. Uh, well, I find it interesting that, that we've already hit two symbol symbol symbolic uh, uh, factors of number numerology. We've got one eleven, we've got seventeen. Um, so there are folks out there that are good at digging into that. So we won't. <laughs> but um, I mean, moving on to uh, well, let's talk let's about see. the all-seeing
1: eye for a second. Yeah, too. we I mean, can do Sauron, that. Sauron is trying to corrupt the whole, you know, Middle Earth in darkness, and he has this eye that can hone in on this ring. And when these ring wraiths are around or any of these other rings are around, he can see basically through them. And there's other tools like the crystal balls and things like or that. Or any but of his
0: minions also,
1: right? Yeah, like, I he mean, kind of just, it, it just gives that idea of that police state where everything is like, we're, we're heading that way right now. You know, no,
0: we're, we're there, man, we're there. Yeah. It's
1: just kept low enough key with enough people, mm-hmm. not hip to it, that it's not a big deal
0: outright i mean right now the whole lot of us everybody in this country who engages in in one of these face-to-face talks Mm -hmm. is uh got that all-seeing eye on them and we are all using the one ring to communicate with each other essentially right like at the, Mm -hmm. the world wide web like we are engaged in trying to use this magic And we don't understand that. I mean, I understand it, but unfortunately it's just a part of this realm and I I don't have it in me to go live off the grid in the woods and, and and, you know what I mean? Survive by the the seat of my pants and, you know, hunt and, and all that. I mean, I would love to have the skills and everything to do that, but then I would have to
1: find the place to do that. It's (laughs) it's just not, it's not practical. I think I think as humans we are very adaptable if we had to go that route I think we could. It would some oh, yeah. people wouldn't be able to but we could but yeah it, it's sorcery man because I believe truly that we all have the ability to do this. I think if we both you know practiced enough <laughs> maybe through several lifetimes me and you could have this conversation telepathically. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But, um
0: that's something just in this lifetime I'm I'm learning is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's incredibly interesting. And like I was saying about the all seeing eye about that, that in between realm being getting a, getting a bad rap. Right. Um, when ultimately like you and I are using this technology, this scrying glass, this black mirror to telecommute and, and telecommunicate with each other. Um, so, <laughs> so it's like a, it's like a, a bastard, bastardization of a very spiritual kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. that we're told to get to work and focus and pay attention on the screen in front of us instead mm-hmm. of our mind's eye and this awesome thing going on up here. But um yeah, yeah and, so and- he, so he sees through the rings, the ring wraiths. every time Frodo puts the ring on, he's like, boom, right in the spotlight. Like, like mm-hmm. that eye extends all the way from the East and just is like looking right at
1: him um, like a spotlight almost, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it is. And going back real quick to the, telepathy um when they meet galadriel who is also a ring bearer she holds uh one of the elven rings made of adamite which is interesting all of them have a specific crystal crystal in there and there's a lot of references to crystals throughout the book uh not so much the movie but it's uh, she can communicate with people through their through their mm. thoughts you know and that's kind of what leads to the downfall of boromir she kind of drives his mind mad with what he his desire is to get get the ring and uh yeah it's just interesting that this elf can do that and frodo can kind of do Gandalf can kind of do it it's it's interesting right and well
0: frodo's got that that little shoe in uh you know due to being the ring bearer right mm-hmm. um due to holding that and see that's that's kind of the, the interesting duality of being a ring bearer um in frodo's case uh you know there's there's enough good and enough light within him to kind of counteract this and, and allow him to focus his attention and intention a little differently and, and then actually wind up, you know, essentially destroying it and not by choice really. He, you know, he doesn't necessarily destroy it by choice, but, um, no. I mean, if he had it his way, he, he would have, you know, <laughs> turned around right. off of the top of mountain doom and done the same thing that, uh,
1: Isildur did, but it's, yeah, it's just did, right? amazing that Gollum and the duality of Gollum and Frodo, it's just, I mean, that's a whole episode. You could dive into the psychology behind that, how they are literally, it's like the shadow self of Frodo. And
0: yeah, for and sure. And it's,
1: it's talked about how Gollum was a hobbit basically at one point, you know, before he got corrupted and all that. But yeah, another interesting thing too, is like Frodo is the only one that notices that Galadriel has a ring on her finger. You know,
0: right? <laughs> no, no
1: one else in the fellowship can see that, so that's interesting. And the other two uh elf and ring are Gandalf and Elrond, which I don't think they ever touch upon in the movies.
0: No, they, they really don't. Um, in fact, they, um, they don't really dig into any of the origin side of anything in the movies, and, and it's for good reason. Uh, it would take so much production value and so much effort to portray any of that. I mean, right. The, the mythos behind each individual character, um, you know, folks that are out there that, that dig into the Lord of the Rings know that there is months and months of information on each individual character. And a lot of it is still somehow in a very strange way coming out, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? So, so it's like a collective subconscious kind of thing. And there's a lot of reference to J.R.R. Tolkien kind of tapping into that collective unconscious mm-hmm. to, to write this. And, and, you know, any artist or musician uh, of, <laughs> of, of salt of the worth throw it in salt. Anyway. Um, I, you know, musician, maybe not so much anymore in the world of music today as we know it, but um, artists, creators, right. That creative kind of spirit, that, that collective unconscious, um, this is probably what I mean when I say things ring with me and they resonate and ring true is there's something in the collective that is saying you need to take a closer look at that. There's something to that. And, um, and I think we all have it and we've all been essentially taught that we don't. Um, And we've been taught that the all seeing eye or the third eye or your mind's eye is either a danger uh, to you spiritually Uh, especially that that's kind of the going, you know, (laughs) thing in in society is, oh, you know, if you're into meditating and opening your third eye, you're evil, um, Mm -hmm. you know, things like this. So there's a, a lot of superstition and stuff surrounding it, including things like Lord of the Rings and, you know, the evil of the all seeing eye. But here's the thing about that, that all seeing eye of, of Sauron, right. It doesn't actually do anything by itself. Right. It, it does nothing. It sits there, and looks around, right? Right. It, it needs it, these it's, minions it, and it things suggestions that... to people, to, to creatures. To its minions, yes. And man, and it's so mind blowing because if you if you look at the origin stories uh, of the Lord of the Rings, you look at the Similarion and and I don't know if I'm ever saying that right. I've never heard it said out loud, so hopefully I am. But you, you look at this origin story, right? And it has the the origin of. These higher entities that came before Middle Earth was a thing. Um, essentially, you have the Iluvatar, uh, which is you know the First Light, basically, um, and you have this cohort of the First Light, which is um, <sighs> Morgoth. No, Morgoth's the secondary. All right, so it's very much like the story in the Bible, very much mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know in the beginning was the word and the word was God and God was the word and the word was good, <laughs> you know? And, and in the beginning uh, uh, the origin story, it's just a song of the Iluvatar or, or the, the very first one who, who makes this like chorus, right? This beautiful mm-hmm. sound and then creates other entities to help enjoy the sound and to engage and create their own sounds. Right. But then this one entity, This Morgoth character, essentially, I think that that's the right one. I'm not sure. I don't have it pulled up like an idiot. I should have. But anyway, so long story short, it's very similar to the Lucifer story um, or any other creation story out there. So you got to think that this is definitely coming from a collective unconscious or conscious. A lot of information was gleaned from different nationalities, uh, origin stories, things like this. So... Um, so it doesn't talk to you about how the Maya are like the third step down. So they would be what we would consider today in like the new age movement,
1: fifth dimensional beings. Okay. Um, or archangels, like you were saying, right.
0: Or, or yeah. angels. Um, I think third dimensional is like or no, like seventh dimensionals, archangel fifth okay. dimensional is kind of right above elf. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like kind of right in that same thing where they, they have. Uh, where well, they're light bodies, basically. Um, and uh, then this this material plane is kind of created very much like you see in the Bible or in, in the epic, uh, you know, of I think it's the epic of Gilgamesh or any other creation or origin story. You see this same kind of layering of of circumstances that lead us to where we are now in this very dense plane, right? Like the lowest lowest level of heaven, the highest level of hell, kind of thing. And so Middle Earth, basically,
1: right? And, um, and Middle and Earth is flat, Morgoth... by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and... Just,
1: just throwing that one out there. just to... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, man. It, it's Dude, it is so crazy to, um, to live in a time where we have the opportunity to go to the store, like go to Best Buy, right? Spend a few hundred dollars and shatter your world boom, buying a camera, buy your cam- Buy yourself a P900 or a P1000, go find the highest building you can find on a clear day and see how far out you can zoom and fuck your whole world up. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, dude, that that's probably what got me into everything esoteric was looking at, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. I've been thinking about this wrong my entire, like, Dude, I thoroughly enjoyed the space illusion for a long time. <laughs> like for a very, yeah. very long time. But um but
1: see that's like a, the, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah,
0: yeah, no doubt. But that's interesting that you said that. But uh but for sure, um I mean there there almost isn't even a reference to like lands of the north. They're they're kind of just east and west, which is mm-hmm. which is very interesting if you think about a flat earth map. Um, you realize that east and west is just going in a big circle um, mm-hmm. that may very well be why <laughs> they don't really refer to the northern lands uh, too too much although uh, in the similarian they refer to the northern lands as the place where Morgoth dwelt on earth <laughs> or Melkor uh, one or the other it's yeah I might have them flipped which I find interesting because we're not allowed to go to the north pole <laughs> you know what i mean and we're not
1: allowed to go to the south probably.
0: right so so i mean, it makes me wonder what's really going on and who's residing where um also are we <laughs> oh i don't know it's so mind blowing so uh so back to all right so we we've hit like gandalf we've hit a little bit of of Sauron. now saruman at one point was considered a friend to gandalf
1: correct yeah he was the highest Order, he was the white wizard. So he was essentially what Gandalf becomes. I mean, he was supposed to be the wisest in the whole council. And you know, there's five wizards that we know about in Middle Earth. There's uh Saruman the White, Gandalf the gray, Radagast, the brown, and then there's two blue wizards that they don't really ever talk about, at least in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And they just kind of went off to the east, and no one really knows if they were corrupted or or whatnot, but well, it's kind wow. of
0: interesting that you say they went off to the east because, um, you know, in The Hobbit, especially, and, and I know this is a preface to The Lord of the Rings, the um, the you know anchor point of Sauron mm-hmm. begins begins again, right in mm-hmm. the east. So that's to suggest that it had begun in the east before. And what I find interesting about that and the tie to kind of nowadays uh evil kind of rising out from the east is we have this this rise up of this uh you know this chinese communism right and um look at look at what japan has become yes it's very neat and awesome and cool looking and orderly but look at the structure of their society and how controlled they are Mm -hmm. and how they're only and i mean only able to express themselves through art that's it you Mm -hmm. know art and sexuality that's all um there's there's no i mean there's reference to curses and magic but it's only ever references to dark type magics there's not a lot mm-hmm. of reference to light magics like like you might see um in places like india um mm-hmm. you might still see some healing magic um reiki might be the the only thing worldwide that that is is kind of of a light you know essence but um but anyway that the evil starts back in the east and uh Gosh, it was I think it was in the end of the Hobbit, unfortunately, but we'll we'll go ahead and run with this for a second. In the end of the Hobbit, um, Gandalf is battling or or collectively, Gandalf, Galadriel, um, even Saruman. They're they're and, battling and Elron,
1: too, right? Right.
0: Yes, all of them collectively. They're they're battling uh essentially the the dark energy of Sauron. Mm-hmm. Uh, returned right it was the
1: necromancer at that point he hadn't come out as sauron they didn't know it was him it was just this necromancer which is very interesting kind of raising the dead and you know
0: that whole aspect of it and and the way that he projects out is in a different kind of a form of that all-seeing eye that we see in the later movies Mm -hmm. but then they through their life energies and life forces they banish him to the east right and Well, I I think prior to, oh, geez, about 17 or 1600, let's say, maybe even as early as 1400, there was a peaceful realm essentially everywhere. You had some dark things going on in China and stuff like this. This is where the opium trade came from. This is where everything kind of stems from the East India Trading Company, which... Turn, you know, turn the world into where we have Walmart today. Like this is, that's the beginning of the evil in the East. So there's that throwback to this uh, in this series, in this mythos, in this epic (laughs) of Lord of the Rings that, that is a very real thing that we see happening in in this world world today. Um, And then we see kind of like a, a parallel to that in current times with the communist Chinese state and uh the digital identification and credit uh social credit currency system all starting back in the east and moving its way oddly enough it curves its way north and then kind of comes down from the north which is interesting because Melkor's palace in uh the similarian is essentially where the north pole would be for us so <laughs> so it's it's really strange that that all like lines up and and i think that that's a lot of why i wanted to speak about this series this epic um but man we've we've hardly got to the point where um where they wound up in
1: rivendale yeah we got maybe like the first hour of the movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we've touched on a lot of awesome stuff um for sure so let's see uh they get to rivendale and let's see where do they go from there um they
1: they form the fellowship which i think is a huge uh yes you know, because and,
0: there were there were more in the beginning. Were there twelve in the beginning, or was it eleven? Was
1: it eleven again? Um, or no, it was not. It was, not, well. it was it always was. nine because they wanted to have nine. There was nine riders, you know, nine ring race to match them, companions. right? Yeah. And they only had seven, and they couldn't figure out the last two. And the movie, you know, does it funny where Mary and Pippin come running out. <laughs> All but, right. Uh, it's ultimately Gandalf that kind of like persuades them to come. And I saw a really funny meme that it's like, you think Sauron's evil. The only reason they bought four hobbits, brought four hobbits along was because if Frodo dies, they could just throw another one in his place <laughs> as a replacement. But uh it's like they choose like the whole idea of like the friendship and like these little people that no one, they're not on anyone's radar. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's interesting because they were going to send Glorfindel, uh, but he had stuff to do. They, I mean, that whole scenario in the book is very interesting, too, where they tell they basically go over the whole history of the ring at this council. You know, in the movie, they just do it as like kind of a quick meeting where everyone's kind of yelling at each other and Frodo decides he's going to take it. But right yeah, so they Yeah,
0: so there's there's some significant differences um and man I, I'll tell any, anybody out there if you have a day at work and, and you know you need something to help get you through the day reach out for an audiobook on on this subject actually in this particular series um whether you start with the hobbit and work your way forward to the lord of the rings or the other way around um, or start with the poems uh, you know, Mm -hmm. work your way from there. I mean, it really doesn't
1: matter. It's all amazing stuff. And, um, and I would say to anyone start with the movies because that for sure.
0: Yeah. It it, it sets, it sets your, your, your picture book in your head to to be able to mm -hmm. attribute certain traits, which I do think the traits of the characters, they nailed pretty well in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the stance of the hobbits, the way that orcs versus the goblins look, um, the way mm. the ogres look versus the goblins and the orcs and the size of which. So it'll give you a better idea as to what you're, what you're listening to but or what you're reading. Now that to. I,
1: now that I said that though, I almost wonder if it is better to start with the book. So your own fantasy kind of fills in the gap. You know that's, what I mean? That's
0: kind of true. I mean, I read the, the, uh, the hobbit first before I had ever seen any of it. Um, right. And, Man, it was it was amazing, but it was very cartoonish because I was very young still and didn't really right. understand. So I mean it's kind of a toss-up. I would say if you had to start, um yeah, maybe start with the movies, but then be absolutely just flabbergasted by what's missing from those movies when you read the books. So it, it would I think it would be a disappointment if you read the books first. Yeah, um, probably because like like with, with reading the Hobbit and then going and seeing that series, um I mean, it's great that they stretched it into three movies, but man, that book took me <laughs> probably a month, you know what I mean? To get through because it was just like, man, you're gripped on every detail. There was no speed reading that book because no. every single thing was like calling out to you and going, whoa. And making you think of the imagery, like the imagery of the underground where, um, where Bilbo, yeah. Where Bilbo meets Golem and they have that, that interaction with the, uh, the riddle and, uh, is so much more involved, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, the book. So it yeah. might be a disappointment to, to read the book and then go look at the movie. So, yeah. And if you haven't, honestly, if you haven't seen the any oh, of these no, movies you gotta... by now, you're living under a rock and you're not going to be listening to a podcast uh, while you're at work.
1: <laughs> right. So... <laughs> and if you want a real trip, um, Ralph Bakshi, who's done a lot of, uh, like Fritz, the cat and a lot of like animations in the seventies did, a attempted to do the nice, lord of the rings yes <laughs> and that is that's a fun one to watch I, I watched that when i was young and it kind of freaked me out because they do like rotoscoping and weird shit with it but uh <laughs> it's interesting to see how much peter jackson took from that like the scene with the ring ringwraiths the famous scene where they're under the tree and the ring wraith comes up and a lot of the ideas behind that or a lot of the images in that uh cartoon or, or you can see them in the Peter right, Jackson yeah, films
0: as, uh, as reference, oh, reference. Uh, like screenshot or what do you call it? Just like slide references that they use as they're planning the movie out. Like, okay, here's how this is going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I forget what they're called, but <laughs> it's just a big picture, a storyboard. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, <laughs> so, um,
1: yeah. So they, they form the fellowship, I, I, I guess. And we'll just, they, they head off on the journey and they, uh, they want to go through Rohan, which would be the straightest route, which is a they're kind of like Vikings. You know, you almost get a Norse feel from the, the Rohirrim. They're the horse people. You know, they're very they live in huts. They're not the big city of Gondor of stone and everything, but um, yeah, the horse lords of Rohan, right? But they are convinced that that is uh, being watched by Saruman. So they have to go. They go to go over the mountain. Uh, that's kind of a failure because Saruman manipulates the weather to uh <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> he manipulates <laughs> right. the weather to uh basically snow them out and they can't get through so their only option is to go through the mines of moria uh and Gimli which, which in yeah. the book in the book it's it's actually Gandalf's suggestion
0: if i'm not mistaken to go through them um but then they flip that in the movie And he's like, no, we shouldn't do that because he knows. I don't know. There's some there's some flits that happens with the minds of Moria. Um, They uh,
1: they leave it up to Frodo in the in the book, I believe. And he goes to Gandalf. Now now I'm a little confused because I just watched (laughs) the movies and I had just finished listening to the books. But there's a lot of debate like Boromir. No one wants to go through the minds. It's kind of. You know, and Gandalf. So, so knows- it's kind of
0: known, it's kind of known that this this is people haven't been heard from from, right. from these mines in and, and many, you know, a year or, or what mm-hmm. have you. Like nobody's paid any mind to anything being down there. And nobody's heard from these dwarves that may or may not live under there. Um and, and I think that the uh that Gimli wasn't that his suggestion.
1: Yeah. It, so sticking to just the movie for purposes of this argument is like Gimli wants to go through, and uh, he thinks his his cousin Balin, who's in the Hobbit, is going to be down there, mm-hmm. and they're going to give him a grand welcome and everything. Um, when they go to the mines, they have to get rid of their their horse. You know, they have the horse is an interesting character too. Bill, you know, he's he doesn't get much play in the movie, but uh he's in the book and he's a pretty big character to like sam and like the healing nature of that like we can get into that another time but so they go through the mines and when they get there they can't get in because these dwarf doors are sealed by magic
0: yes yes this is the part (laughs) mm -hmm. i love it yeah so so they're they're and they they light up in this weird awesome kind of blue led kind of color mm -hmm. and um so for, for the listeners and the, the non-video folks out there, um, but I am gonna
1: pull up uh, kind of a screenshot on that real quick. Yeah, just look up the doors of Moria. Um, it's really cool. And but you know, being a little more uh, aware of like conspiracy and uh, different esoteric beliefs, you, you start to notice that there are two pillars on this door and that instantly screams like, you know, the Kabbalah. The pill the black and white pillar, um, the the Freemason uh right, symbols and stuff. And when you look at this door, there's the writing, which is uh, I mean, it looks like a combination of almost Sanskrit, Norse runes, and English, you know, all kind yeah, of thrown, maybe a little
0: Cyrillic. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a mixture of everything. Um, but that's but, what's known as the the dwarven language, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's got the backwards Ys like in Russian, mm-hmm. you know, the backwards C, forward C. Uh it's it's very interesting. Um and you know, a, a lot of conspiracy theorists out there understand the the oh man, the Freemasonic Freemasonic symbolism that's in everything, right? It's on our dollar bills, it's in everything, it's everywhere. If you're not looking at it, you know, if you're not recognizing it, you you just you just don't care. But
1: um what's what's interesting is everything (laughs) (laughs) it's got the trees it's got the trees the two pillars um it's got the compass rose in the center there down there it's got a crown right i've I've also
0: heard this compass rose down here uh commented on as being a commentary star Mm -hmm. um and, and that's based on the the masonic symbolism here um where you have the Royal arch of Masonry. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a little different, but there's a, very, a couple very similar things that I just wanted to point out for the audio people. Yeah. Go take a look at the Royal arch of Masonry. Um, I mean, you can go take a look at the two pillars uh, symbolism, just look up two pillars symbolism. You will find everything having to do with this. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely a mixture of all of this. I mean, it's a mixture of this Masonic symbolism. It's a mixture of esoteric spiritual symbolism, um, Eastern different types of symbolism as well, which is incredibly interesting. Um, it has the, the seven stars, right. Uh, Mm -hmm. which essentially the seven houses of the Zodiac on, on the Freemason, the Freemason side. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the the, the door in the minds of Moria, it has a, a hammer and anvil, and you know, in the Masonic symbol, it has uh the compass and square. So it's mm-hmm. it's there's a few little differences um and things like this, which makes it kind of a great conglomeration of, of everything there.
1: Um well what's so super interesting, door, yeah. It it the door they can't get in, and, and there's a spell that you know, you have to speak to enter, and it says speak friend and enter in elvish it's written which is interesting on a dwarf dwarven door it's written in elvish but uh they can't figure it out and even gandalf can't kind of he's like stuck on this and it's a very simple thing they're trying to figure out like what the password is you know what i mean all right yeah and it it literally is like word magic it's speak friend and enter say the word friend is what it turns out to be say the elvish word for friend and enter almost like you know, it, it does kind of harken to like secret societies where it's like just such a simple, straight in your face, but like <laughs> yeah. everyone's stumped, and it takes. I think it's Mary or Frodo in the movie. I think it's Frodo that figures it out, but in the book, I think Mary kind of hints to it. Is like, well, what's the Elvish word for friend? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The the person that you at least expect to right. to have the insight on the situation, uh,
0: you know, usually does. And and honestly enough. Um, When it comes to you know, secret societies and things, that guy you least expect, you know, that dentist that you go to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or you know, that that high school teacher that you hated, like there's a good chance
1: that these people would know that secret password. (laughs) Right. And it's just again, it's like it's so in your face, and just it's like path of least resistance, Occam's rate, whatever it is. It's like this is whatever the most obvious answer is, it 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 is what it is, and that's what eventually opens the door to get them in and it's it's just really interesting you know
0: yeah no doubt
1: um but yeah i mean we could probably dive deeper into like i don't know much about like the kabbalistic tree of life and that kind of stuff but it just it reminded it's, it's me it's all of there that.
0: and we would spend another hour just on like the stuff that i've got pulled up right here it gets mm-hmm. a little it gets wild um but you know, hopefully it'll, it'll just kind of lead folks to take a look at this stuff for themselves. Um, because there's plenty of information out there online, right. Yeah. Um, there's other people out there that, that do more of a service to this type of information and presenting it. Um, I just love to present, you know, what comes to my mind and love hearing what comes to yours. And, uh, and you'd with, sent me some, you'd sent me some images
1: earlier yeah. And what's and, uh, interesting too with the Masonic one is there's a sun and a moon on each side. And I mean, we see this in both the Hobbit movies and the uh, Lord of the Rings is that the dwarven doors are open. Like you won't, they only become visible in like moonlight. In the moonlight. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So, so that's just, man, it's so wild. Uh, I mean, almost everything that we've kind of touched on the all seeing eye, the, the, the two towers, I mean, the second installment of the movie is called the two towers. We have the two pillars here in Masonic symbolism. Um, We have the, the seven stars representing the seven Zodiacs. And then if you like look, go over to, to the uh, gosh, I I don't know what it's called. It's, it's the, it's Boaz and, and the the Mm -hmm. two, the two pillars specifically represent, I don't know, uh, kind of the, I don't know, the Kundalini kind of in a sense. You know um so there's there's that spiritual symbolism also and like in this lord of the rings mythos uh there's all of that rolled into one and it's it's like the the entire thing for those dwarves right so it's it's the the dwarven kind of all-encompassing
1: symbolism that is the freemasonic you know and, royal and what do the dwarves or, work with stone they're they're masons Essentially exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. So man, it's so mind blowing and what's crazy about the dwarves and and most people may not know this or they might, if they're into Lord of the Rings, the dwarves were made by a different creator. Okay. Mm -hmm. By a different creator than the men. And Mm -hmm. then the elves, they were made by, you know, the other creator, right? Um, Mm -hmm some might consider this other creator like a Lucifer type figure, because it was at one point, you know, a, an angel or of the light that was essentially given his own right on earth, right here. You can have this spot and do what you want over there. Create over there. <laughs> Basically was the thing. Hey, you go create over there. All right. Just leave my mm-hmm. stuff alone over here. I'm going to create over here. You create over there. Um, but this other creator created the dwarves before the main creator uh, created men. Okay. Uh, The main creator had already created the uh, Iluvatar and the Maya, which is what Gandalf is one of uh, initially Mm -hmm. before it comes down to middle earth, but hadn't, and he let them roam on middle earth. Right. And told them, yeah, I'm going to make this, this creation men and you know, you're not to mess with them. You're not to do this and that. You're to treat them nicely. Basically lay down the ground rules, right? But before you could create men, this other creator, and, and I'm horrible with not having the name and everything pulled up right now. We'll get into that when we get into the Similarion because it's there's a lot to all of that. But essentially, um, people need to know that the dwarves were created by a completely different creator entity than mm-hmm. everything else on Middle Earth. So they would have their own... Symbolism. They would have their own spirituality. They were master craftsmen.
1: They were builders, you know, um they were masons. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> they have these I mean? amazing like underground, like it's, it's a whole underworld basically. Un- yeah. It's
0: unbelievable stuff. And, and it was, they were created in the underworld kind of uh, to keep them hidden from, you know, because this other God was impatient uh about, you know, and wanted to share life and, and this other God wanted to share its love with something right. Wanted to be mm-hmm. adored by something. So created these, these master masons who had crazy power could imbue magic into, into steel and into, you know, could uh, just fuck do anything that they <laughs> they put their mind to with their hands. Right. So they're very,
1: very, um, and what's tactile so,
0: people. Right? Yeah.
1: And what's interesting, I mean, it, even like getting into like the Marvel comics, like the dwarves made Thor's hammer. I mean, it's like any other uh, mythologies and stuff too. dwarves are always present. And I mean, they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're always part of our culture. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, these creatures were, and still are probably real. I mean, people see them on, well, that's more like the clockwork elves and things like that with like DMT and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, these dwarves they created a lot of stuff. They have these, um, they, they found mithril right that in Lord of the Rings, that is their their prized possession is mithril silver, and it's stronger than like dragon steel and light as a feather. That's the whole idea right. there, and uh, it's what ends up saving Frodo's life multiple times. He's wearing a, a thing that, uh, in The Hobbit. Thorin, the King of the Dwarves at the time, gives Bilbo a Mithril male shirt. Right, And th- they talk about it in the movie, at least in extended editions. If you're going to watch the Lord of the Rings movies, definitely watch the extended edition mm-hmm. ones.
0: There's <laughs> there's
1: so many little extra scenes that just kind of tie it all together a little bit better. Um, but yeah, like this Mithril shirt that Bilbo had was worth more than the whole value of the Shire, you know, just in this one yeah, and he didn't know it. He just held on to it and had it yeah. for like years, and nobody ever knew. He just gifts it to Frodo. Mm-hmm. He's I like, think "Here, by the way." It's kind of it's kind of hinted that Bilbo knew, but not like because right, right. That's another well, it's thing. Just like too. all of
0: his, he had that chest of treasure. Um, not to be like a spoiler, but he had that chest of treasure, that chest of troll treasure too from mm-hmm. <laughs> from the hobbit so i mean yeah. dude bilbo was balling dude no wonder yeah, all of his family and the baggins is wanted all his shit you
1: know <laughs> right and that's it's always like talked about in the lord of the rings like that's a whole big thing because there's that 17 year gap before frodo leaves he has to figure out like what the hell is he going to do he's got this fortune and he's got <laughs> you know this huge hobbit hole and everything and it's like he has to kind of come up with a plan like he can't just get up and leave he's got to like sell his house off and he's going to go back to the country where he was you know born right. yeah no
0: doubt so yeah he's like, in the process of all that and all that's left out of the movies which is kind of unfortunate mm-hmm. but um, it is and it isn't. It's i mean, for time's sake, I can under- you know. Like, yeah, you, you can't you, you can't fill all that gap when you're paying right. when you're paying uh, uh what's his name Orlando Bloom freaking mm-hmm. <laughs> so many million a day or whatever it was. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you can't make those scenes. Not all of them. No,
1: but yeah, it's just it's fascinating. Like how like deep he gets into like Hobbit lore and their culture and like they they're simple. They want like simple things, but they they'll talk about their family trees and all this stuff. And it's pretty interesting. And it's very funny how he writes like the way Bilbo gives away some of his possessions. And just like, he gives like a bookshelf to someone that takes, took all his books and it's just funny little stuff like that. But yeah, (laughs) going back to um, the dwarves and them in Moria, they find out that it's, it's abandoned. It's been basically ransacked and, uh, we could probably end it on this one, which is kind of a cool note. Is like when they were digging for this mithril, they unlock this uh, ancient. This, this evil. is pretty
0: much pretty much where where the the movie leaves off. I mean, we'll we'll kind of yeah, you know what? We'll we'll wrap it up right after this, and and with the scene essentially where it does end is you know with Gandalf uh, falling into the abyss, which is is fairly fairly short order. So they they go into into the uh into the mines they go into the mm-hmm. mines and um they find out you know that that all of his kin all of Gimli's kin are dead you know mm-hmm. and they find skeletons in the movie they find the skeletons and in the book it's um like the smallest sound right that that
1: gets they just hear the made. tapping yeah yeah
0: and and then they hear these drums from down down in the deep but in the in the movie an entire bucket and skeleton and all kinds of shit falls down this well. and makes this huge loud noise. And, uh, in the book, it wasn't so much like that, but, um, so it falls down there. And then here come these like marauding goblins and, and they bring like a mountain tro- or like a, a cave, a troll cave troll with yep. them. And like, they're pretty much like steering this troll around like it's a vehicle, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is, which is mind blowing to me, you know? So like, this shows that these uh, these goblins um, have this this ability to kind of hijack the
1: yeah. the, the
0: intention of other creatures. And, yeah. and I and find and that also interesting. Uh, What's interesting in, in so too, ways.
1: another, uh, this is total side note, but I played a lot of World of Warcraft when I was younger. <clears throat> and uh, there's like these tinker classes and like goblins, gnomes, and uh, dwarves were all very they're like the engineers of that game like they had like bonuses if you wanted to take like the engineering right route. and like yes. they they would build these bombs and these like intricate things in this like fantasy world they had guns and just really cool like gadgets and stuff right and,
0: gadget they were tinkers like you're saying yeah. yes and, it's- <laughs> and, and that's very much what what the dwarves were were doing with i mean just some of the the scenery in these mines uh, is just epic, right? Um, mm. Whether whether you're looking at The Hobbit when they go into the mountains of... Uh,
1: Misty the Mountains. Misty Mountains.
0: Sorry, I don't know why I veg out on that so much. Um, but you see, especially in The Hobbit. I, I mean, I recommend anybody go take a look at some of the scenery in those mountains. It's absolutely amazing. Like the structures that they build for, for pouring and casting and just absolutely amazing stuff so so they're like so do you think that they were they kind of tinkered uh their way into
1: i don't know commandeering these trolls in
0: a sense i mean it kind of seems that
1: way. yeah it seems that way. and like again they they show this more in the hobbit not so much lord of the rings but like they have these like uh very intricate like technology almost like crude industry in a sense it's like like
0: harnesses and and yeah. just different like things we would see on horses
1: nowadays right, right? like
0: like a bit and a yoke and yeah. all of this stuff and so they're kind of steering this troll around but uh but anyway so there's that battle right they battle with them mm-hmm. um they run all the way down all the way down all the way down and uh
1: they get to the very bottom and then all of a sudden all yeah, of they the get-
0: goblins are like
1: yeah, so they, <laughs> yep, in the book they get, or in the movie, all the goblins scatter. They hear this, like, loud thump. They see a red fire glowing. In the book, you know, they yell, Nosh, which is goblin for fire. And then they, they have to run to the bridge of khazad And this is a cool bridge because it's so narrow. And the dwarves built it as, like, a strategical thing. So, like, only one enemy could cross at a time. So anyone going over this bridge, they could just take out but uh so they get there and this belrog you know comes out which is basically like a demon you know um and this is where like gandalf makes his like final stand in uh, the book and the movie and he it's cool because he shows that he is uh what does he say i'm a servant of the secret flame or all this stuff and he basically prevents this thing from passing
0: you know right from following them because it, yeah. it was
1: going to i mean mm-hmm.
0: it, that uh and that they speak of this this balrog um i, I don't know if you've ever played the the game diablo mm-hmm. but very very much like the representation of diablo from that game is mm-hmm. this balrog it's what we think of when we think of satan essentially and right. and, and uh So this thing is following them and Gandalf, you know, the, the savior figure, and this is another reason why maybe a lot of people attribute Christ-like kind of traits to Gandalf is, um, he's battling the darkness, right? He's battling Mm the, the, the fire beneath this Balrog and, and then the movie, the movie abruptly kind of ends, um. Well, right. no, the, the movie, they, well, they it leave. goes on, but his yeah, story, it, Gandalf's story yeah, Gandalf's ends story right ends. there for that movie. So,
1: yep. And then, uh, so yeah, he makes a stand on the bridge. Everyone knows the scene. You shall not pass. And he hits the thing and the thing falls down. The bridge he, of chasm, 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 doom. The, chasm the, doom, of
0: doom. The, the chasm of doom. Right. right. So, so and it's, it's like, so wow. this
1: thing falls down and, you know as gandalf goes to walk away it hits this whip it's got a huge whip a f- giant flaming sword and all that and uh grabs gandalf by the leg and pulls him down and he you know fly you fools run, run. you
0: fools yeah, yeah it's fly in the book but run uh, in the movie which is interesting uh mm-hmm. i mean i'm not 100% sure on like the the takeaway from like the symbolism there or the wordplay um i mm-hmm. mean we as we know uh, words are are so crucial why they would change that from fly to run, you know, I have yet to
1: understand, but it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then that's where Gandalf's story ends, and he plunges into the abyss. And then the two towers. So the Fellowship of the Ring goes on, and the two towers opens up with Gandalf, Frodo having a vision or a dream of seeing Gandalf dive into the abyss. So as he goes down, what he says it's like a thousand lifetimes. He's down there. You know, but in the course of the movies and the books, it's only a few days right, or, or a few weeks or whatever, because that it is all extended because they're in Lorien for a little longer and whatnot. But so he's let's just say it's like a month or two that he's in the uh, he's dead on in Middle Earth, but he's battling this thing for an eternity, basically. And he dies doing it, and then he's brought back to finish his task on Middle Earth. And. It's just crazy that he has to dive into the abyss, and he passed through those archways that he didn't want to pass through. You know, that's,
0: yeah, that's so wild. And, and again, it speaks to the reasons why people attribute these these Christ-like traits to Gandalf because we have we have uh, Jesus being tempted by the devil. Uh, so there is kind of a uh, in a roundabout way a battle that happens between the light and the dark. You know, in a sense, by the tempting of Christ. So. um, yeah. But so, so that kind of tails off uh, that particular section. And, and I think we're just about out of time for tonight. Um, man,
1: what an amazing yes.
0: ride, dude. Yeah.
1: It's just, again, going through the abyss to come back out on top. It's just, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's
0: it's uh, almost the story of my life, my friend.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, so. it, it's, it's that re- re- redemption, the re- but yeah, he sacrifices himself for the fellowship and he comes back. (laughs) And when, and when he comes back, I mean, he's Gandalf the white. And And what's
0: interesting is he, when he comes back uh, and this is, you know, leading into something that that we won't get into, but he he comes back and he almost has no memory, uh, which is kind of interesting um, as we all know about, this incarnation when we get here <laughs> we have no memory of who we may or may not have been before mm-hmm. um so so that's incredibly interesting but um they they wind up getting out of the mines uh essentially the the fellowship does and um i forget where they end up
1: finding a resting place and it, and it kind of just stops there um yeah so they it's interesting because the fellowship movie ends with boromir dying And the fellowship breaking up. And that actually is like the beginning of the Two Towers book. So they kind of chopped it up a little bit differently, but they go to, they find the Woods of Lorien where they meet Galadriel and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah. And
0: that's about where it tails off. Yeah. And that's where we'll leave it for today. Man, what an awesome ride. And there's so much more. I'm so looking forward to digging into more of this. And, uh, you know, if there's if there's anybody out there that, that wants to take part and has some things to say on Lord of the Rings, just reach out to uh, either Nico or myself. And um, I guess we can go ahead and, and plug in here and uh,
1: call it a day. Yeah, man, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we, we finally, because we've been talking about this for like a month now to do it.
0: And <laughs> it's gonna... such a monumental task. I was like, it I is. don't even know how to begin this. I, I everything think everything I way... started looking at just led down so many rabbit holes from the, the language of all the different entities to the origin stories. I mean, it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like we could definitely use a, another perspective or two because everybody seems to grab something a little bit different uh, from mm-hmm. this. And in these conversations, like tonight, um, you know, for the for the parts to come about of of to come out of how this relates to the world we live in now, that is what I I feel like most strongly about, which is mostly why I wanted to have this conversation and and get this stuff out there and hopefully get this conversation started and get more people into looking at fiction through a different lens. Um, Just because it has a stamp on it that says not real, like, are you going to buy that your entire life and live a doldrum existence where the only thing that you understand is reality is force fed to you, you know, or are you going to take it upon your own soul and your own heart and look into some of these other things, these different arts, right? Like art is all we have, much like in Japan, art is all they have to express themselves. That's all that we have to express our past, our present. I mean, aside from that, we have propaganda and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get the the real story of how things transpired. We get
1: Something stamped with fiction. So exactly. I feel like that's and, super important. And the thing with like and this might just be me, you know, but with the Lord of the Rings, it's like you can relate to every character in some way. Even like when you start hearing about like the orcs and stuff and their kind of culture, when they're you and know, they
0: their their hunger
1: for meat, right? Like that's yeah. that's
0: a big one. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's just it it's so fascinating because it is, it's like we are all we all have traits of all these different. Types of creatures. It's very and,
0: Jungian, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much so, for sure. Yeah. But, see, uh, we didn't even touch on the the Carl Jung side of, of things, mm-hmm. and and that's more open for later, which I I'm looking forward to because you're you're spot on, right? And, and I think that that's why I can't help but look at humans as a homunculus, right? Mm-hmm. As a homunculus, <laughs> that we're a conglomerate of these different. Oh man, micro souls. You know, Mm -hmm. within our within our larger oversoul, right? And the ones that we choose to ride with and die with, you know, is is why we're here. But man, again, what what an epic time for an epic epic!
1: I love it. I think you know, just jumping in and just kind of talking about it, and then we'll narrow it down as we get more and more into this series because I I feel like this is going to go on for several different yeah, episodes oh, absolutely. So we didn't absolutely. even scratch the surface i mean we didn't even get the we, we first barely movie. touched
0: the movies and and <laughs> you and i are of like mind in in wanting to look into the books um of which an audio format is amazing i mean you can find them on youtube that's where i found the similarian it was um the lady that was was uh narrating it does so in a very hushed kind of calm peaceful voice which was very nice Um, it was a little annoying at first, I'm not going to lie, but once you get used to the way that she's speaking, um, it's not so bad, but that's just because that's what I could find on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The snap of a finger. I was like, okay. Um, because I tried to read the similarity, but it's it's so deep. It's It's like trying to read the Bible. I mean, it it really is. It really is. It's, uh, it's tantamount to, to reading the Bible or reading like the Vedic texts, mm-hmm. man, I've tried to dive into some of those too. And that is a freaking rabbit hole in itself. So, um, yeah, um, I, I guess I'll just plug up here first. Uh, I'm random Randy. You can find me in the red thread podcast, uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. If you want to shout out and email me randomfracts at gmail.com on Instagram, I'm also random fracks Uh, but you can uh, if i'm not mistaken just go on spotify or something look up red thread podcast should be at the top of the list so
1: rock and roll and i'm nico from upstate unconventional uh same thing as randy my show is on all the platforms i'm on instagram at up upstate underscore unconventional and my email is upstate unconventional gmail.com and uh yeah if any of this interests you just let, let me or Randy know, because I have a couple people. It's just, it's hard to get people to come up and talk about Lord of the ring. So <laughs>
0: it's a really nerdy subject, man, it uh, but it's so fun. So amazing. And I think the more people open up and talk about our, our fictions, the things we are presented mm-hmm. as fiction um, and, and kind of take it in a different light, whether it's the Jungian sense, the spiritual sense. I mean, you have all these different ways you can look at these things, and um it's awesome information and what a better there's no better way to pass your work day than by listening to some dissemination of
1: some fiction that you enjoy right i think that that's an amazing thing to do for sure man and yeah it's just been such a monumental part of my life uh like i said i I watch these movies all the time i've read the books countless times now it's
0: just
1: (laughs) yeah so uh With that note, we'll end it here and we will be back for another one where we'll dive a little deeper. Right on. Because we haven't even touched on like Galadriel. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we'll have to do a whole thing on characters, a subset or
0: something, Mm because the character development is insane in this uh, epic, for sure. Well, thanks again, Nico, for joining me this evening. I appreciate you, man.
1: Yeah, man, this is a lot of fun. And like I said, this is something that we've been talking about and we just... We're getting started
0: to it, man. It's a It's a nice spring, uh, coming on here. So what, what a great time to start something new. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of red thread podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, the first installment of this deep dive into the Lord of the Rings. If you are a Lord of the Rings aficionado and have uh, some information that you'd like to present, feel free and let me know. You can send me an email at Randomfracks at gmail.com so you can send me an email over there if you want something to be read through in our next lord of the rings episode for example or if you'd like to come on and uh, share your perspective on this there's so much to this tale this epic uh, that it would be well my loss to not include any perspectives that would like to be included so thank you so much again for tuning in all the listeners and the guests Just want to extend my appreciation and have a phenomenal day.